What brings you here this morning? I know that for quite a number of you, this is routine. Uh, there's some of you, this is, this is very new. How does your being here this morning fit with your expectations? If the Lord gives you more years in your own life, how would this fit within what you want for this next year or for 10 years down the road in your life? What does your being here right now have to do with the big picture of your life, of the world? If you're honest, you would readily admit that there's times in your own life when because of the confusion of this world that you would admit your life or this world doesn't make sense. There's times when you need help, we all need help to take a step back and to to raise our heads up and to see the bigger picture. That is one of the great helps of the Scriptures. God has spoken. God has actually revealed His purposes and His plans from the beginning of the world to the very end. He's not revealed to you every detail of your life, but by His Word... We are meant to live in the details of our own lives, expecting, living as if what happens in the details of our lives matters in the big picture of what God is doing in the world. You know, that's what God made very clear in Joseph's life. To Joseph. To all of those people who were meant to live by God's word of promise, his revealed word in his world. That's what's actually very clear in Genesis 40 and 41 this morning, where we'll be. It's a very long passage, but here's the main point through all of it. God determines history. God determines history. Humiliation leads to exaltation. And his salvation goes to the ends of the earth. God determines history. Humiliation leads to exaltation. And his salvation will go to the end of the earth. I want for you, like Joseph, to be confident that is the story of the world in which you live. And to live in light of it. You are going to want to have a copy of the Scriptures open and accessible as we work through these passages this morning. So turn to it or click to it on your phone, and let's get going. Seeing number one, hopes raised and hopes ruined in chapter 40. Hopes raised and hopes ruined in chapter 40. Now, we just left Joseph back in chapter 39 down in the Egyptian prison. But the Lord and his steadfast love were down in that prison with him. And when we come to chapter 40, verse 1, we read, sometime after this. Meaning, Joseph had been down there for years. When suddenly... The king's cupbearer and baker were, in verse 2, 
accused of doing something against Pharaoh. And verse three, he put them in prison with Joseph. And verse four, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. And he attended them. So Joseph is languishing in the prison, but his responsibilities are adding up. And he continues to come in contact with people close to power. Now, because some of you know this story, I do want to be clear. The chief cupbearer, the chief baker, are not menial jobs. This is high-level people, confidants to the Pharaoh, oversaw many people responsible for everything that comes to him. Maybe, probably, one of them was in on a plot to kill Pharaoh. Text doesn't say. It does say their high position was reversed to a low position. And then verse 5, one night they both have dreams. Each his own dream, each with its own interpretation. Now dreams were significant in ancient Egypt. The Egyptians believed that once you were asleep, your spirit was more readily in contact with the gods and there was much interest in dreams. For his part, verse 6, Joseph comes to them the next morning. He sees their trouble. He asks them in verse 7, why are your faces downcast today? Just notice that. Joseph's life has been taken from him. Joseph is not hardened. He's essentially here the prison warden. And he cares about these men who, unlike him, are not innocent. He cares about them. They're guilty. They, verse 1, committed an offense against the king of Egypt. It's Joseph's concern for them that opens a pivotal door. Notice how desperate they are in verse 8. We've had dreams. There is no one to interpret them. They're scared to death. They are desperate for revelation, and they have no access to the wisest men of Egypt. Now, we've seen in Genesis that dreams continue to be a source of special revelation from God to the patriarchs, to his people. And Joseph knows that revelation belongs to God, not Egyptian magicians. Verse 8, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So down in that prison for years, whatever has confused Joseph, here is a man who after years trust God. Here is a man who knows it's his God, not Pharaoh, who reigns, who reveals reality to the world. And so, verse 9, the chief cupbearer steps up. Look at verse 9. In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, Its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, 
This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me. When it is well with you, please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. It's a dream of threes. A vine, verse 10, with three branches, budded, blossoms shot forth, clusters ripened. He takes grapes, he presses them, he places the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Ultimately there in verse 13, in Three days, he says, Pharaoh will lift up the cupbearer's head and restore him. You're going to get your job back. Now, this lifting up here has a sense of him being called into his presence. The Pharaoh showing kindness to him. What is Joseph's only request? Remember me. When you're back in his good graces, mention me. Don't forget me. I was stolen. I'm innocent. I should not be in this pit. Joseph is in terribly confusing circumstances, but he is clear that he is the innocent sufferer in the pit. Not because he is guilty. Remember me. Don't forget me. God decrees through this dream the future, and he graciously gives Joseph wisdom to make sense of it. Surely, after all these years, this is faithful and faith-filled Joseph's ticket out. The chief baker has said nothing. I think he was probably in on some kind of plot against the Pharaoh. He had a dream. He's been quiet. I think when he heard the cupbearer's interpretation, he thought, maybe mine will be favorable. So he speaks up. Verse 16. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Whatever he hoped, There is no positive interpretation. He will be lifted up to be hung. This is some kind of execution. The birds eating from his flesh would have prevented his spirit resting, as the Egyptians thought, in the afterlife. And then all of a sudden, the narrative just jumps forward. Verse 20 to this third day, Pharaoh's birthday. Now, just as an interesting aside that I learned this week, There are only two birthdays mentioned in the whole Bible, Pharaoh and King Herod. So whatever you want to do with that as it relates to birthday parties, you should go ahead. 
and use the Bible. Pharaoh is celebrating on the third day his birthday party. He lifts them both up. The cupbearer, verse 21, restored. Verse 22, the chief baker is hanged. Just as Joseph had said. Yet verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now what do we see here? Well, we see first the hope and the confidence of the righteous, innocent sufferer. As we saw back in Genesis 39 last week, the Lord truly is with Joseph. The Lord is present with Joseph in his suffering. Suffering is not proof of the Lord's absence. Joseph has been so mistreated. He suffers in innocence. And yet the Lord is with this man. And Joseph clearly knows and communes with the Lord. Every time Joseph speaks, he shows himself to be a man who knows his God. Joseph here is a pattern, a beginning of a pattern of what's going to be true of God's people in Scripture. King David, the prophets, Jesus Paul, too many to name in Scripture, too many to name in the world, too many to name in this assembly. We live in a world in which the righteous suffer. If you would live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer. You will be opposed. But you've got to see this. The righteous sufferer, Joseph, has the steadfast love of God. Joseph's hope, his confident, is in God. Now, the question for all of us is, why do we so easily think we deserve better? I mean, big picture, suffering is not the deviation from the plan. Suffering is the plan. It is where God delights to work not in your strength, but in your evident weakness. Joseph is clear, I've been wronged. I'm not wrong. And he is a man totally confident in God. Do not interpretations belong to God because he knows his dreams and their dreams. Everyone's destiny belongs to God. Joseph, the man in prison, knows his God is on the throne. And so Joseph suffers in hope, in God. Suffering has a way of revealing who we really are. And wonderfully, suffering has a way of, by the power of God, making us into whom God would have us to be. None of us want suffering. But we can be sure that in suffering, God, be rock solid in your confidence in God. He is doing more eternal good in your life than you can see. Joseph, who is the righteous, innocent sufferer, has his hope not in his circumstances, but in God. And Joseph's hopes were raised. I mean, can you imagine what he thought 
when the cupbearer was lifted up. This man, he cared enough to ask, why are your faces downcast? What's wrong? He had every reason to be hardened, to not care for anyone else. And all he asked of him, after I've done this for you and you're back in power, remember me. Surely he would remember. But his hopes were quickly ruined. The cupbearer forgot him. Just think about what it would have been like for Joseph day after day after day, wondering, am I going to get called? Am I going to leave? This, this is a brief chapter. It ends terribly. We see hopes in God. We see his hopes raised. We see them totally ruined. Don't minimize this because you know the end of the story. I mean, just consider Joseph. He's innocent. And he's suffering between two criminals. And all he said to one of them was, just remember me. Remember me. And as soon as that cupbearer was lifted up on that third day birthday party, back into power, he forgets the prisoner. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see that many, many millennia later, Jesus, the only true righteous sufferer, would himself be between two criminals on the cross. And only one of them would have the wisdom to look at Jesus and say, remember me, remember me. And unlike the cupbearer, Jesus never forgets. As that man who was condemned on that cross looked to Jesus, Jesus welcomed him that day to paradise. We are a guilty people who by our sin belong in the pit, deserve nothing. We have all committed high treason, not just against a human king, but against the king of kings. And Jesus Christ has left the throne of glory into heaven and lived an innocent, righteous life and was condemned to die. He was raised, he was lifted up on the third day. And when he ascended into power, he did not and will not forget any of his own. The names of his people are written on his nail-scarred hands. Have you come to Jesus in repentance and faith? Have you asked the living Christ, understanding your sinfulness, remember me? You need to be remembered by Jesus. And the good news is he will remember you. On the last day before the world and his father, he will confess your name to his father. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ and your hopes raised in Christ will never be ruined. Never. But Joseph's were. For now his hopes are ruined. He was forgotten by the cupbearer, but not by God. Which leads us to chapter 41. Joseph raised, Joseph rules. Joseph raised, Joseph rules. Look down at verse 1 as we read a portion of this. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. 
and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump, plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This is a long chapter. And it begins in verse 1, Joseph waiting a very long time. After two years, day after day, 
that call to the prisoner to come up never came. I mean, can you imagine? How long, O Lord? Do you not see? Do you not care? O Lord, hear me. Act. Waiting and wondering where God is has been the experience of God's people from the beginning. And you and I must learn to trust that what seems like God's inactivity is anything but that. This is the God who decrees the future. As Joseph waits and is wondering, God is working. Pharaoh dreams. Seven cows eaten by the seven thin cows, seven plump and good grain followed by seven thin grain. The point is, mighty, powerful Pharaoh on the throne is so troubled. He has no power over the dreams. None of the magicians, the wisest people in the world, can't make sense of them. And that's when two years later, the cupbearer comes back into the story. He remembers, verse 9, his offenses. He had wronged Pharaoh, but don't forget he had wronged Joseph. And he remembers the young Hebrew who can interpret dreams. Do Do you not see God's providence? His moment-by-moment rule in this. And then look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph quickly, brought him out of the pit. And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. This was 13 years of waiting, of wondering, of hope being ruined. And then suddenly a dramatic reversal. Joseph raised up quickly from the pit, raised up standing before Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh extols Joseph's ability to interpret the dreams, Joseph says, what is the the, the theological thrust of the whole section? It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Raised up, here's his chance. Joseph does not exalt in Joseph. He exalts God, not in me. Joseph is totally dependent upon God to bring about his destiny. And then Pharaoh describes the dream, but this time it's in his own voice. We we get a sense of what he thought. We learn in verse 19 that the cows were so thin, it was not like anything Joseph had seen in Egypt. That the Thin cows ate the plump cows. In verse 21, they were still as ugly as they were at the beginning. Mighty Pharaoh, who to your sight would have been the picture of power in the world, is totally helpless and afraid before the revelation of God. What's the message? This is God's world, not Pharaoh's world. And Joseph answers him very quickly. He interprets this. He reveals this is God's power, God's plan. Notice how God-centered it is. Verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 32, the doubling of the dreams means this is fixed by God. God will shortly bring it about. 
So by God's power and wisdom, Joseph makes clear, Pharaoh, you live in God's world. He reigns, you don't. He determines the future. His sovereign decree is unstoppable. The future is set. But then notice, Joseph is not passive. He's not fatalistic. Once he declares the decree, he acts. Verse 33, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Set him over the land. So he's resisted taking credit for what was wisdom and interpretation. And now we see Joseph decisive, demonstrating discernment and wisdom. And I think shrewd, telling Pharaoh to select a discerning and wise man. Now just stop and think how far Joseph has come from the bratty, spoiled tattletale of Genesis 37. People can change. Suffering has sobered Joseph. Joseph has grown in wisdom. He's matured. He is a man ready to rule. Select a man, appoint overseers, store up the grain as a reserve against the seven bad years. Why? So that the land will not perish through the famine. Joseph raised up, and in his resurrection, he stands before the king, and he's giving wisdom by God's revelation. God reigns, not the Pharaoh. This is Yahweh showing his people of old his supremacy over the gods, over the kings, over all peoples. His wisdom, his decree determines the future of the world. Mighty Pharaoh is asleep, and God acts. God disturbs him with a dream. Joseph languishes in prison. His God is working to decisive ends. It's God's decisive work that runs the course of history, that wins in the end. The prison cannot stop God. Pharaoh cannot stop God. Uh, The point While you wait, while you suffer, God is always working. He is never passive in his world. Now notice those two confusing years for Joseph. How clearly they were the plan of God. Those years of waiting meant Joseph would be raised up to stand before Pharaoh to do for Pharaoh what no one in Egypt could do. Can you imagine how much God's people of old needed to be confident that Yahweh, their God, reigned over Pharaoh? That his wisdom is greater than all the wisdom of the world? You need to be confident in that. When you suffer, when you cry out to God, God is not passive or helpless. He is bringing about his plan. He's not wasting one minute or one moment in your life or in the world. All of that was true for God's man in the pit in Egypt. And what else is true? This God can bring about stunning 
unexpected reversals. Suddenly, they can bring about resurrection. Joseph, you and me must learn to wait in faith. Why is it so hard to wait in faith? Because we believe we know the ultimate perspective. Joseph in prison, God's people as slaves, we, we think, God, you've got to act according to my wisdom on my timetable or I will not trust you. But who needs to be changed in suffering? Does God need to be changed or do we? What's so wonderful about Scripture is God comforts us in suffering by the Spirit and God gives us language to complain, to pray to Him in suffering. Do that. Cry out. But never think He's not working. He's always working for what is wisest and best. You realize after all of this, Joseph would not have changed one detail about his life. And neither will you want to change one detail about your life. When you see God's purposes and plans, Joseph was living by faith in the word of the Lord. Now, God gave wisdom to Joseph by special revelation. Uh, Realize that in Deuteronomy 4, Moses makes clear to God's people, you are to be a people distinguished by wisdom and understanding before the world. How? By them keeping the Torah. God's people have always meant to be distinguished by living under God's revelation. God's word is where God's wisdom is revealed. In Christ, you can grow in wisdom. You can learn to live with skill in this world that does not work like it's supposed to. I would plead with the youth. Wisdom is yours for the getting if you want it. Yours. God gives it generously. He loves to give it. He has given wisdom in his word that you might live rightly in this world before his face. I mean, just look at this hope here, this instant reversal. Joseph is raised up. Years of suffering and waiting and suddenly God acts with decisiveness our God who has brought about a great resurrection reversal in Christ is going to do the same for everyone who's trusted him. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way of those who trust in his son. And he's always doing maximum good to you in Jesus Christ. When God purposes to act, he can change everything. So just see that your hope in Christ will not disappoint you. Don't give up. Don't fall away. Don't turn away from Jesus. You're waiting in hope. You're growing in grace. The Lord changed Joseph, and he can change you and me. He'd sunk to the lowest depths of human existence, and God, by his power, raised him up to the position of highest authority. You think God's people needed to know that? I think they needed to know that it's God's wisdom, it's God's decree that determines history and the course of the world, that reigns over rulers. Joseph is knowing this at the core of his being. It's not in me. God gives the favorable answer 
to the kings. And when the answer was given, Joseph acted. So we know God's decree in this sense. We know where the world is headed. And we're meant to be active. We are meant to live by faith in what light of what God has revealed. Don't grow stale in your faith. Don't start living as if this world's just gonna go on and on and on as it always does. Don't start to think that God is weak and passive. He's not. He raised up Joseph from the pit and he raised him up to rule the world. That's what we see beginning in verses 37 and 38. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of the God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Saphanath-Paniah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During these seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it. It could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. From humiliation to exaltation, God raised his man, Joseph, up to rule. Pagan ruler, verses 38 to 39, sees the power and the wisdom of God in him and under him gives him all the power over all the land of Egypt. All throughout this account, Joseph's clothes have been used to mistreat him. Not now. Verse 42, he's clothed in new royal robes. 
He's given an Egyptian wife. He's given an Egyptian name. Now, you should be asking, is that bad? It's always been a bad thing in Genesis when you take a foreign wife. Well, notice Joseph has not gone down to Egypt willingly. Also, we'll notice he's been given a pagan name and family, but he doesn't take their beliefs. Moses continues to call him Joseph. And in verses 51 and 52, he purposely gives his sons Hebrew names. Manasseh, meaning forget. Ephraim, meaning fruitful. He's forgotten the hardships. He believes God will make him fruitful in a foreign land. I think by the names, he's taking his stand in Egypt, faithful and confident that the God who has brought him there will bring him to the destiny of his dreams. He's like Daniel. Mark read to us earlier. He's been carried down to Egypt, but he will not compromise his faith. This is God's people under a foreign power. God raises up his own. They don't compromise in the foreign land. And God uses them to deliver his people. So here we see what it means to be in the world, but not of it. I wonder if you think about your life here in the United Arab Emirates, if there are values and assumptions of this place that have slowly began to creep into your heart. We, we, we go out of here every week into a world that just lives in a false reality. It doesn't live in the world as it is. And under God's word, special revelation, we are meant to live wisely. We're meant to make the wisdom of God known to the world. And we know about Joseph that from his private life, when he was tempted by Mrs. Potiphar, to this very public rule, Joseph is faithful to God. That is a successful life. Living by faith in this world by God's revealed word. How that simplifies our life. To simply trust God and obey. Not to think that we have to hit certain numbers or certain achievements. We can pray for all those things. But simply by living faith and faithful to God's word in a world that completely rejects it. Oh, God delights to use faith and small faithfulnesses of his people for ends we cannot imagine. It's true with Joseph, faithful in a prison, faithful in a palace, when he was 30 years old. In 13 years, the Lord raised up the prisoner to ruler in Egypt. Nothing is impossible for God. He rules history. And then verse 49, everything under Joseph's hand is prospering. Grain like the sand of the sea. It can't be measured. Do you see that the God who made impossible promises to Abraham about his family is impossibly bringing them about? The world's protection, the world's preservation is coming by the wisdom and power of God. Through Joseph, God's man, his rule is bringing blessing to the world. I mean, it's an account that started with all the odds stacked against him. He's a prisoner in the prison, and the man who's supposed to remember him forgets him. And it ends with him exalted over all of Egypt. And in verse 56, the famine is spread everywhere. But so has God's blessing 
all the earth came to Egypt, not to Pharaoh, but to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was over all the earth. Here is all the earth coming to God's man, God's man on whom God has set his steadfast love, who was thrown down into the pit, raised up in power, and now rules over all the earth. And the earth is coming to this man for the bread that it desperately needs. Joy to the world, far as the curse is found. God works all things for good. God determines history. He delights to work through humiliation that leads to exaltation, cross before crown, so that his salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. That's the big picture of your life. That's the big picture of the details of your life in the next week. That's what our eyes need to be opened up to every single week that we gather together. This is God's world, and it's ruled by God's word. God's decree means God's purposes are in every detail of your life. And you can trust him. You can trust him that everything in your life in Christ Jesus is working for your good until that great final day when he will remember you and call you by name and raise you up forever.